attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times best-selling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. The media's favorite lie is that there's no evidence that Joe Biden was ever involved in his son's overseas influence peddling schemes. Reporters, anchors, and pundits kicked that lie into overdrive the very moment that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announced an impeachment inquiry last week. They immediately bowed to the White House demands issued in a letter to the press to publicly exonerate the president of any wrongdoing. Forget objective reporting of the known facts. Protect your shared liberal agenda by ignoring the evidence and contorting the law. It won't work. People are smarter than that. Polling data shows that 61% believe the big guy, a.k.a. Joe, was actively aiding and abetting Hunter's scams to sell out America to the highest foreign bidders. China, Ukraine, Russia, Kazakhstan, Romania, an assortment of other countries over which the elder Biden exerted influence when he was vice president. As evidenced in at least 170 suspicious activity reports flagged by banks to the Treasury Department's criminal division, more than $20 million was funneled into a complex web of shell companies before some of it was parsed into the greedy hands of Biden family members. I watched in amusement as a CNN fact-checker misinformed his audience that Joe committed no crimes because it hasn't been shown that he personally received a cut. Well, apparently fact-checkers never bother to check the law. Biden doesn't need to receive a penny to have committed felonies. Under law, if cash went to some other person or entity instead of the office holder, it is still the crime of bribery in any influence-peddling schemes. Devin Archer, Hunter's former business partner, confirmed they were selling Joe Biden as a brand, which meant both access and promises of influence. Promise alone in exchange for cash is criminal. To prove the value of the brand, the then vice president spoke by telephone to Hunter's overseas clients at least 20 times. He met and dined with them. In at least one instance, Joe admittedly engineered the firing of a Ukrainian prosecutor who just happened to be investigating Burisma, an energy giant that was paying his son a million dollars a year. An illegal quid pro quo? Well, it sure looks like it. The media keeps declaring that Joe Biden's role in that scheme was long ago debunked because he was carrying out approved U.S. policy. However, contradictory evidence has emerged that the vice president actually defied Obama administration policy. Newly uncovered documents show the State Department and other agencies approved of the prosecutor's progress in cracking down on corruption and wanted him to remain. Instead of granting the planned $1 billion in U.S. aid to Ukraine, what did Joe Biden do? He traveled to Kiev, and he threatened to withhold it unless that prosecutor was canned. And when he was, 
the Burisma probe vanished overnight, and the payola continued to flow to Hunter Biden. Again, whether Joe got a percentage of the money is utterly irrelevant under bribery laws. Documents also show that the elder Biden signed off on talking points written by his son's partners to help conceal that Burisma scandal. Speaking of cover-ups, the FBI did its level best to bury what's called an FD-1023 informant report that a trusted source said the CEO of Burisma paid $5 million each in bribes to Joe and Hunter Biden. The number two supervisor in the FBI's Washington field office told Congress that he was attempting to corroborate the informant's story by speaking with a second source, but was instructed to shut it down. And then there's the notorious China gravy train. You'll recall in the second presidential debate, October of 2020, Joe Biden proclaimed, my son has not made money from China. He repeated it multiple times. Well, we now know that assertion was spectacularly untrue. Emails and receipts on Hunter's infamous laptop show he received substantial sums of money from China. He even admitted it in court when questioned by a federal judge during the recent plea deal that imploded. One email in particular stated that 10% was to go to the big guy who was identified as Joe Biden by Tony Bobolinsky, Hunter's ex-business partner. And who can forget the infamous Hunter shakedown in a WhatsApp message discovered by the IRS whistleblowers? Quote, I'm sitting here with my father, and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. The message reads to a Chinese businessman with direct links to the Communist Party. Hunter then added the following threat, quote, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction, end of quote. What happened? Well, shortly thereafter, $5 million was wired to a company of Hunter Biden's. Now, the media would have you believe that none of this amounts to evidence. Seriously? I mean, you'd have to be incredibly dense not to recognize the obvious. But allow me to simplify for the mentally challenged members of the press. Facts and information constitute evidence, period. They are often documentary or testimonial, direct and or circumstantial. And whether those facts eventually rise to the level of criminality, well, that's a matter of proof. But they are still evidence. For the media to deny that volumes of evidence exists in the ongoing Biden investigation is to engage in willful blindness or blatant lies. Look, the purpose of an impeachment inquiry is to gather together the very kind of evidence that I've just described. And the ultimate goal is to decide whether crimes or impeachable offenses have been committed. This is elementary. 
but the media seems oblivious. At this stage, it's premature to declare that there's enough evidence to impeach Joe Biden for treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors as described in the U.S. Constitution. However, credible evidence is mounting that Joe Biden appears to have played a pivotal role in selling political favors to foreign oligarchs, overseas businesses, and America's adversaries. Since mainstream journalists clearly know nothing about the law, they should stop pretending to be defense attorneys for the Bidens. Recall that this is the same biased media that treated every false rumor and phony innuendo as proven fact in the Russia collusion hoax. They happily convicted Donald Trump in the court of public opinion only to learn that they were snookered as the fools they are. Joining me now to talk about it is former Congressman Jason Chaffetz, who was chair of the House Oversight Committee, now a Fox News contributor. His most recent best-selling book is The Puppeteers, The People Who Control the People Who Control America. Jason, great to have you here on The Brief. Is it your sense that that the media uh, who have long been sort of Joe Biden, Hunter Biden apologists, are really now engaging in deceptions in, in, in their persistent claim, oh, there's no evidence, no evidence whatsoever. Yeah, you see that in some of the headlines. I mean, the Associated Press put that out there, uh, right out there, Dis- despite no evidence or something to the effect. Um, uh, other than, you know, photos, voicemails, emails, suspicious activity reports, uh call logs, secret service records, flight manifests, um, and bank records. Yeah, there seems to be no evidence. I mean, (laughs) this is as chock full of evidence of any case. Like I did this for a number of years in the House, and I understood that the media was going to help out Hillary Clinton and the IRS and the others. But this is a whole new level. You know, the media doesn't seem to understand what the word evidence means. It is documentary, testimonial evidence, whether it's direct or circumstantial. Um, you know, and here you have got, uh, for example, 170, roughly, suspicious activity reports flagged by banks to the Treasury Department's criminal division. Documents show more than $20 million funneled into shell companies uh, controlled by Hunter Biden and his partners. Um, you know, you, you've got, uh, you know, clients meeting, overseas clients meeting with then Vice President <clears throat> Joe Biden. He meets with them. He dines with them. Uh, he flies to Kiev and, you know, engineers the firing of a prosecutor looking into Burisma, which is paying his son a million dollars a year. I mean, that's, that's evidence. Now, whether it, it rises to the level of proof of crimes, that's a different question. But for the media to say there's no evidence is just utterly absurd. And I think, frankly, they're engaging in either deliberate lies or willful blindness. Which do you think? Um, I think it's both of those. I also think the Republicans need to do a better job of answering that question. Um, two of my favorite uh stories or um, pieces of evidence that they rarely use is, 
you know, it, there's this case in Mexico where they don't ultimately close the deal, but Hunter Biden is texting his uh, some people in Mexico, um, the former, I think it's the former president of Mexico's grandson, and is saying, look, um, I have done everything. I have opened up the White House. I have opened up the vice president's residence. I have brought you in to meet all the people that you wanted to meet. Uh, in our U.S. government, I expect you, when Air Force Two lands in Mexico City later today, I expect you and your family and your business partners to be there. And I, because my dad's going to spend some time with you and he's going to shake your hand and he's going to, he's going to do exactly what I told you he's going to do. And in that particular trip, Greg, they bring uh, Jeff Cooper. Jeff Cooper is Hunter Biden's business partner. Now, so. On Air Force Two, they're bringing the business partner. Why haven't they asked? Why isn't the media shouting at Joe Biden? Why did you bring Jeff Cooper or ask Kareem Jean-Pierre? Why did they bring Jeff Cooper on Air Force Two if if that wasn't Joe Biden, you know, helping his son do his business via the U.S. government? The second case is the case involving Louis Free in Romania because the the need there was – you had this Romanian mobster who was up on trial who ultimately got convicted. But with just a few months before, what they wanted to do is lean on the Department of Justice to lean on the Romanian government to affect the outcome of that, of that trial. And this is a piece of property that the U.S. government was going to potentially look at as moving their embassy to. Well, the the the, the the case is that this was bribery, that this guy's got this this uh, piece of property that the U.S. government was going to buy at a below-rate market. So they thought about that, and Hunter Biden came up with the idea of having Louis Free. Who better to have Louis Free go into the Department of Justice and get the, them to lean on the Romanian government? Now, a lot of investigation needs to happen as to whether or not that did happen, but we know that this massive billionaire in Romania hired Louis Free at the recommendation of, of the Bidens. And as a thank you, they deposited, Louis Free deposited $100,000 into the bank account of Joe Biden's grandchildren. Right. Now, what do you mean no evidence? I mean, Tell those stories. That's a classic quid pro quo, an exchange of benefits for money. Which is under the bribery statute, 18 U.S.C. 201, that's influence peddling. It's the crime of bribery. It's aiding and abetting. It's conspiracy. It's a variety of crimes that anyone other than having the last name Biden uh, would be, it would have been criminally indicted a long time ago. It's just mind boggling. And, and and what Louis Free says in the text in the emails or text messages to Hunter Biden is, I really want to talk to your dad because I want to continue to do this. It works so well, and we really should be partners. Now, part of it was to be partners after he left office, but this is happening while he's in office. While he's vice president, and I can tell you, yeah, while he's vice president, I can tell you, you have to fill out ethics forms. You have to go see attorneys if you talk about anything that has to do with after the fact. But this happened in. In, during the Joe Biden vice presidency. So again, no evidence. Look, the reason they need to do this inquiry and the reason they need to is because they need to strengthen the House Oversight, the House Judiciary Committee, 
to be able to enforce their subpoenas. Right now, if they want to issue a subpoena, and they do, the only one to enforce that subpoena is the Department of Justice, right. who is partly the one that they're investigating. So in order to get a, you know, have a strengthened a case before a judge, they need this inquiry from the House to, to justify these subpoenas. Right, because historically, courts are far more willing to enforce subpoenas for testimony and documentary evidence if it's a, an impeachment inquiry uh, than simply a House committee and you have to prove uh, it's in furtherance of a legislative objective. So yes. important to get the impeachment inquiry, which essentially will give the House more power to compel people. Um, yeah. You know, in, in the second presidential debate, Joe Biden said, my son has not made money from China. We know that's, that's an utter lie because even Hunter Biden admitted it in court in July uh, during the imploding plea deal when the judge asked a series of questions, did you make money from China? He said, yeah, I made a lot of money from China. Um, and there is, of course, that one particular email um, that says 10% goes to the big guy. And of course, Tony Bobolinsky, Hunter's ex-business partner, said, yeah, the big guy in this big China deal that, you know, that was going to involve uh, tens of millions of dollars. The big guy was Joe Biden. I mean, that alone raises legitimate, serious questions of a vice president of the United States who is essentially selling out his country, doesn't it? To the yeah, Chinese I mean, Communist like Party. And again, you have Hunter Biden accompanying Joe Biden on a trip to China on Air Force Two. And voila, not only did they shake hands in the lobby, but they actually sat down and spent some time uh, with these uh, potential business partners. And guess what? Voila, Greg. A few days later after the trip, millions of dollars flows into the Biden's bank account. So, um, you know, again, some very basic questions. Why did they set up? 20, was it 20 plus uh, LLCs? What was the product? I mean, we there is, again, testimony from Devin Archer talking about, well, there was the brand. The brand wasn't Hunter Biden. The brand was Joe Biden and the Biden family. You, you know, one little case that people forget about is one of the Biden brothers, on the day of the inauguration, he actually works for a law firm uh, and he's not an attorney, works for a law firm down in, in uh, Florida. And he actually puts out an ad. There's an ad that says, yeah, we got some influence in Washington, <laughs> D.C. And um, and I know how to use it. My name is Biden. Uh, call us. We can probably help you. I mean, they literally were taking out ads to do this type of stuff. It's just, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, I think the mainstream media, which is totally in the bag for Joe Biden and in turn, Hunter Biden. I think they think the American people are really stupid, but they're not. I was looking at some of the latest polling data. 61% of Americans believe that Joe Biden was helping his son. He was aiding and abetting in these influence peddling scams. Um, so how is this in your judgment? Look, you spent a lot of years in Washington, D.C., involved in a great many elections. How do you think this plays out with the presidency at stake and Joe Biden running for re-election? You know, elections are often won by 
uh, the people in the in the middle, uh, the the true independents, the true the people that are paying attention, they do vote, but they're not affiliated with one one uh, party or another. I think they are paying attention to this one. I think it's it's so numerous, it's so voluminous, it's so um, it, it's there, and they can see it that that becomes more and more of an impediment to Joe Biden running again. Uh, um, perhaps that's my hope because I have been a Republican uh, member of the United States House of Representatives. But I think people get this stuff. Like, I don't know about the Jared family, but, you know, $100,000 going into your your grandchildren's bank account, people understand that that is not a normal course of business. No, it's not. And, you know, I love the fact that Joe Biden has spent so many years and decades claiming he's the man of the people and he's the poorest <laughs> man in Congress. And the guy's got a, a mansion in Wilmington, Delaware. He's got a fancy beach house in Rehoboth. Um, you know, he's got an expensive Corvette, that his beloved uh, British racing green Corvette. I mean, this is a guy who is not and was not uh, the poorest, uh, you know, member of Congress on on Capitol Hill. He was elected in 1972. I was five years old, play, learning to play soccer. This guy, he was literally in office four years before Jimmy Carter was elected. Right. That's how long that guy's been in office. Yeah, you, you don't become you don't make that kind of money on a public servant's salary. Uh, I don't know how you. Cut. He did sell. He did sell a lot of books. You know, in between, you know, after his vice presidency, but that's been, you know, that was just in the last few years. You can't really explain all the other parts in between. Well, he had to pay somebody to write it, so you know, you got to subtract that. <laughs> He's completely <laughs> incapable of it. Well, and this this lucrative contract that he had at the University of Pennsylvania for teaching class that he never taught. Well, he says he was a uh, professor for four years in an <laughs> Ivy League university. Um, it, it turns out that he never was a professor. He was given an honorary position and made a handful of public appearances at, at UPenn and so forth. But, I mean, it just underscores that he makes stuff up at every turn. You know, he, yeah, he drove an 18-wheeler, you know, I mean, the whole, <laughs> I beat up corn pop, uh, you know, I mean, all this stuff that just the Amtrak story, which has been repeatedly debunked. Um, but, you know, he, it just, I often wonder whether he truly believes this stuff because he's repeated it so often, so he's convinced himself it's true. Or whether his brain is so addled, he just doesn't know truth from fiction. Well, I think he's he's had this problem since the beginning. I mean, he had to drop out of the 1988 uh, presidential contest because of the plagiarism issues. And making up that his video. credentials. Yeah, you, you see that a, a voter, I think it was in New Hampshire, was challenging him about his credentials in, in law school and whatnot. And he really gets back up in his grill. And he waxes on with passion that he just really, really thinks that this is true. Most everything that he said in that statement, if you watch that video, was absolutely false. He wasn't at the top of his class. He didn't graduate with the honors. He didn't do all, you know, he, he made up a whole series of things. And they're just false. And I think it's kind of core to his DNA. I just think this is the, that is the person. 
that he's always been, but now that he's in this cognitive decline, it's it's exact, you know, it's accentuated. He made up a degree that he didn't even have an extra one, a third degree that he doesn't have. Um, and of course, he got kicked out of law school for plagiarism. Um, and then, of course, his plagiarism in 1988 is what did him in. I covered that campaign actually, um, and was completely dumbfounded as how to, how somebody could lie so blatantly. Um, yeah. You know, one of the things that I think people are beginning to focus on, and you look, what is it, 71% now believe he's too old, too feeble to serve. How does that play out? Well, again, that's not something that's going to get better. I mean, not only is he a poor communicator and what he says and how he says it just does not resonate. It's not motivating to a lot of people. And I look back at his last presidential campaign. I mean, he was not at the top of the polls. He was never really truly the leader. He was sort of the compromise candidate so that they could uh, get through this, if not for um, what happened in South Carolina. I don't think he would have would have gotten there. But like he his problems and his challenges, I, I, I don't think get better. First and foremost, his policy is wrong, the wrong prescription, the reason we have inflation, the reason we have an immigration problem, the reason we have uh, a lack of a cogent, um, successful energy program. All of these things flow to the core of what he wanted to do. Um, they brag, you know, Democrats brag about, oh, we got everything that we wanted. He's been the most progressive president. Bidenomics is wonderful. And yet they're still underwater. The economy is flailing. Um, you're not going to go in and suddenly convince people that, hey, that inflation, you know, now it's coming down. Really? It's cumulative there and it hurts and it's painful. But again, back to the beginning, I don't think that, um, his cognitive capability, he suddenly becomes more alert, more awake, more uh, has an increased ability to communicate. And again, it's exacerbated by the fact that his vice president is equally bad at doing this. And it's not her age that's the issue. It's just her confidence. talent level is yeah, lacking. She's yeah, utterly incompetent. Um, yeah. So David Weiss, uh, finally, under pressure, brought criminal charges last week against Hunter Biden, but not the serious stuff uh, like uh, influence peddling, bribery, money laundering, racketeering, uh, all the stuff that probably uh, should have been brought and would have been brought against anybody else. And David Weiss only did it because the federal judge forced him to do it. I am suspicious that he will aggressively prosecute the case. I suspect in the end he'll strike another lenient plea deal, a sweetheart deal, only this time without the broad immunity uh, promise. Uh, but it'll be sort of, you know, the secret handshake of we're going to tell the public we are seriously pursuing these other uh, serious crimes, tax evasion, tax fraud, influence peddling. But we're not going to bring any charges on that. I, I So I think this is a charade. I don't think there'll be a trial. What do you think? Uh, I'm with you on that. I think they'll drag this out as long as they can till it gets after the election. I think you're right. I think the judge is the only one who is the impediment to them, uh, their ability to actually go and get stuff done. I don't think Hunter Biden will see jail time. I, I, I think uh, Abby Lowell, who's a very competent attorney, 
Um, we'll do everything you can to make sure Hunter Biden never testifies, never appears before Congress, never sees, uh, you know, the, the, the other side of jail bars. And, um, I think it is somewhat of a facade because it was forced. It was such an embarrassment. Um, it, they, they thought they could just choreograph this thing and snooker the American people. Um, and, but the, thank goodness for the judge and, you know, to hear the IRS whistleblowers, people with serious credentials and background, the most serious charges, particularly on tax evasion and whatnot, they've come and gone because of the statute of limitations. Yeah. And and that should have never, ever happened. Yeah, I mean, the most egregious violations of tax law occurred during the first three years. And David Weiss deliberately allowed the statute of limitations to lapse. I mean, I've been a lawyer for more than 40 years. I've never seen a prosecutor do that. Usually, if you're coming up against a statute of limitations, you go to the, uh, the suspect and, you, and his lawyers and you say, look, you can either waive the statute of limitations or I'm going to charge right now. And they always waive it uh, because they hope in the end they won't be charged. But here, there wasn't, was- that, wasn't that the case in this that they supposedly had a deal to extend it. And then, I mean, I think yeah. part of the testimony from the IRS whistleblowers was that, right? They did, because there was a written agreement ag- among the IRS investigators, as well as the U.S. Attorney's Office, the career prosecutors there, to charge six felonies, um, you know, on top of waiving the statute of limitations. David Weiss tore up that document and said, I'm not going to do it. And now we have other documents that show he intended all along never to charge anything at all. So uh, last question to you. Looks like the fix was in, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, what? one of the other lies that you hear out there is that it, it's not technically a lie. Let me rephrase it. They went out there and said, oh, this is a Trump appointed um, U.S. attorney. That's not the way it works in Washington, D.C. If you have a state like Delaware with two Democratic senator senators, the Democratic senators are going to give you the thumbs up or the thumbs down as to whether or not you do it. And then pretty much Trump is left with no choice. So don't don't pretend that this is right. a Trump appointed, you know, technically did he sign the paper? Yes. But what a what a fiction uh, that that part of the uh, the the oh, David Weiss, he's his hard hitting uh, Trump appointed MAGA. Come on. Come on. That's that's nowhere close to it. So, um, look. I think the best hope that's in front of us to get to the truth is to be able to have James Comer and Jim Jordan with sufficient subpoena authority that will prevail in court to go get the documents that we know are there. There are more than 2,500 documents that are there at the National Archives. There are other things within the White House, within the Department of Justice, that we know they're there. There are about 2,500 documents that are responsive to a FOIA request from the Heritage Foundation of communication between David Weiss and the Department of Justice. Wouldn't it be fascinating to see that? And if Congress is going to do its proper oversight, which is not just about the legislative process, but also about the creation and the formation of new legislation to make sure this is prevented in the, pa- in the, in the future – we have to be able to get those documents. The other thing the committee has got to do is it still has a long ways to go to get the documents and the, from the private sector, phone records, other bank records, other transactions, and to get the testimony from those people um, like Eric Schwerin, who is probably as important as anybody in this whole case, 
and get their information as as well. When that's done, we'll have a much more full case, and then Congress uh, can lay out what what's truly happening here. Well, former Congressman Jason Chaffetz, uh, many thanks for joining us on The Brief, former chair of the House Oversight Committee, so he knows a thing or two about investigations. Now a Fox News contributor, everybody should pick up his book, The Puppeteers, The People Who Control the People Who Control America. It's a great read, and again... Jason, thanks for joining the brief.